Ava Talks, inspiration for creating a sustainable and fulfilling life. Hello and welcome to our podcast series dedicated to discovering new, creative and sustainable ways for making choices that empower you to live a happy and meaningful life. In our today's conversation with our special guest Eva Wiebrecht, we discuss about how our reality is constructed, deconstructed and reconstructed and how we can actively and creatively engage in this complex process. Eva Bibrecht is the director of the International Virginia Satir Institute of Germany, international speaker, trainer in the generative change work, and she also facilitates systemic trainings and workshops using the generative systemic satir model, Ericksonian hypnosis, as well as somatic integration and movement approaches. To be able to make choices is an essential life skill, and how we build this skill is influenced by our life experiences from early childhood all the way through adulthood. In this conversation, you will discover how the most significant people in our lives affect how we get to perceive the world and also what are the main principles we can consciously use to create our everyday reality and feel the true joy of being alive. So we invite you to listen to this podcast and receive what is resonating with you. And we would love to hear your own opinion on this topic. So feel free to comment, share, follow and subscribe. Enjoy. Hello Eva and welcome back. Hello Alina, thank you. We started our last conversation in the context of choices and you so beautifully presented the two models apparently opposed to one another, the hierarchical model and the seed model. And in the context of creating possibilities for choices to be made, this also correlates with how we perceive things and how we give meaning to things and how we interpret what our environment is and how it actually constructs the reality we perceive ourselves to be part of. And I was thinking about maybe developing this topic of how we perceive the reality and how we construct the reality or is there always a given overall reality and we only just are pions that are placed in one situation or another in a given context of reality yeah that's you know that's a really interesting topic i mean if i think about touching upon what we talked about last time um, when you think about this kind of the systemic view of things that events and the, the definition of an event is an interplay of many variables in interactional interdependency relationships that are playing out in a given moment in time, it also gives rise to a perspective of the idea that reality is constructed and it's not a given. And that's just a way of seeing the world. And I guess then you could put it to, you know, quantum physics or, you know, different 
and again, other realities that are describing the idea of how reality gets constructed. So um, if I put it down to a pathway of working, then in my filter or in my, in my working construction, if you wish, I work in the spirit of Virginia Satir, who developed a, a process that she calls family reconstruction. What that means there is that she had the idea of everybody has a way of constructing a way of how we perceive our family and how we internalize our family from the way we grew up. And it gives actually rise to the idea that when I am little and I take it in a literal sense, when I'm small and I'm looking at big people, which are then important people like my parents, then I have a perspective from down looking up and everything I see is out of proportion because somebody's tiny and so two people are giants. And she had this really funny picture of saying when I'm little and I'm looking up and those are my important people, then there's something interesting that happens because I'm basically one seeing big heads because I'm looking, if you have, you know, taken a photo shot of the angle of from down to up, you actually see really big heads. And that she would make this um, comparison that, that kids are seeing, looking up, um, really big heads. What they also see is in a playful way, she said, they, she, they also see genitals all the time because you're looking kind of like right into, you know, the, uh, this perspective and then you see big boobs. So, so but what that means is it's kind of like a funny mirror. Uh, it's, it's almost like in the fun house, the mirrors that are, you know, making you big or really skinny. And um, I find that a really interesting beginning point because it really makes sense, right? If you think about somebody a little looking up, everything is out of proportion. That's a way of how I construct everything that I see. For example, let's say my mom is maybe looking with a very straight face at me. When I look from that perspective, that straight face may look angry. It's because it, it just is a different construction of how I see the face from that perspective. Then if I'm on the eye level with her, I maybe then notice it's just a straight face. It's not really an angry face. So there is already a, a potential misinterpretation of how I see the world from that particular perspective. And then we, you know, the other idea that comes to my mind is that um, the Santiago de Chile group has um, summarized their study of 40 years into this one sentence that says, the world is not as it is, but as we are, meaning the way I see out things is a reflection of how I have internalized certain understandings and perspective. And that comes with learnings. How did I internalize a sense of myself? How did I internalize a sense of making sense of the world? Um, some things that we touched upon last time. How did I internalize um, family rules? How did I internalize certain points of interest? 
How did I internalize certain ideas about feelings, good feelings, not good feelings? That is all a, a construction of people I was exposed to and, and also my angle of perspective and then how I created meaning out of that. And um, so my world as it is today is coming from my own way of having constructed and put different pieces of the puzzle together. And there are many plays or many puzzle pieces that are linked together to get to this understanding of how I see the world out there. And it's a really interesting detective story for me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... Uh, really really interesting and a lot of studies have been done observing how kids take things as truths when they are in, in their families at an early age and how they give little by little they start giving meaning to what they they notice in their environment and sometimes they even take up rules that are n not even the rules of the family but what they make of what they perceive as being rules yeah so even if they become in their adult life patterns of behavior they were their own rules that were reflected by the family they were not the rules the basic rules of the family itself yeah so it, it's a somehow distorted reality, but it's the reality of the person. So even if that reality gets transformed, it's still a reality. And that's kind of a paradox because they started at the same point, at the same environment, with the same situations going on, the same people, but developed through time and experience as different realities. And this also reflects in the adult's life because it's, it's a pattern that keeps repeating throughout school, throughout job experience and, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just noticing, you know, we're such social creatures. I mean, we have such a need for a sense of belonging. And, you know, that comes, I mean, at the very beginning, I am really depending on somebody else taking care of me so that I can grow up. So there's a real fact at some point where there is dependency from another being to, to actually help me to change the diapers, to get, you know, to get food, to help me to lift to the next level until I'm actually able to stand on my own feet, metaphorically speaking. And that dependency that is real at some point is also creating that emotional dependency that may continue to play out throughout time. And what's really interesting in the perspective of a child, one is, as I said, just from a perspective, from the angle, small to big, it takes things out of proportion. That's how we distort things or we start to generalize. It's always like that because when I'm little and I'm depending, um, my parents or whoever takes care of me is my world. I don't know when I'm little, there's a world out there. Those, you know, representations, those two people or whoever that may be who is helping me in those dependency phases to actually survive are my world. There is, in when I'm a, a small child, there is no other world out there. So I cannot compare saying, oh, okay, these people are doing it this way. Maybe the neighbors, the millers are doing it different. And when I go to the Smith, 
then they have a different version. I don't really have, when I'm tiny, um, this possibility is to ring at the doorbell of somebody else and then understand, oh, the world is different. I need to grow up at a certain time to be able to visit the neighbors or go to school and, and hear about other families or maybe have a student exchange program and maybe visit another country and realize, oh, in other countries, people are eating a different way. This is not the only way to do it. But everything that is really coded and very much constructing our identity, the way how we really as a, an intense identity set are seeing the world as this is how it is, is constructed from an age from zero uh, I mean, even in the in the womb, beginning there with all the messages, until the age of six or seven. So when I actually have the capacities to go to the neighbors and stuff, most of the stuff that is valid and, and, and creating how I experience the world, which is actually then becoming my experiential reality, has already been constructed in the first years. So those those first years are really limited to some people that I'm mostly exposed to and whatever they are um, given to me or holding back or not communicating, not saying, hey, you know what? We do the best that we know. And that may not be the only version how you can experience the world. And we're going to do our best to um, set you free as soon as possible so that you can explore other versions of the world because we can only give you what we know about the world right now. And that's not all there is. Usually we don't have families that have been educated in this really, I want to say, really safe, self-mature way of saying we give our best. This is totally limited. There are many other ways to explore the world but this is a good version and we can communicate to our children and a good way of saying, hey, you will find out many other ways and have fun with it. And then take whatever fits and leave whatever doesn't fit and include something that is more helpful for you. We usually don't communicate in families like that, but that would be a nice way to do it actually. Yeah, as in order to, to build the, the self-identity, we look for references yeah we look for for models we want to be like our our mother our father our uh, other symbolic figure that we discover in in our environment as as small children as little yeah. children. because this is some way part of the building the identity process yeah if we could be able from, I don't know, one year old to have the self-identity crystallized, we would not have to go through this process. But firstly, we need to be aware of, of those references and then choose who we consider to be a model to follow and who not. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of, of a complex educational process and experiential process because we come into contact through these times with, with different experiences and different people and we as children take them for real yeah we don't discern okay this is a projection or this is a reflection or this is something else because as children we take things as as we see them yeah 
and later on in life become aware, if ever, <laughs> there is also the possibility of never becoming aware of those projections, taking and continuing to take that truth or those truths for granted and consider them as the ultimate truth. So why are you doing this profession? Let's say a, a person has, has become a doctor and realizes that he has become a doctor just because three generations of doctors were in, in his family. Yeah. And the normal thing for him and the appropriate and the reality of his situation was, okay, you become a doctor yourself. And never thought about, okay, do I really want to become that? Or maybe there's some other profession more appropriate for me. Yeah. And that was a reality but was a reality that was passed on without thinking too much about the reality behind that reality. Yeah. You know, what, what actually comes to my mind is there's, um, I, I find it such a, um, such a lovely thing that, that usually, you know, kids learn by modeling. They, they just mimic everything that they're exposed to and, and they play it out. So there's this really interesting phase where all of a sudden, parents are noticing, oh my God, I have a mirror right in front of me. So whatever I do, they do too. And so it's a really revealing uh, phase a lot of the times so how they, they completely, I, I like to say they're SpongeBob. They're like sponging everything in whatever they're exposed to and then they just play it back to you. And, and, and I find that is such a love act, you know, it's basically saying, guys you are my everything to me you are my love so i take you fully in i sponge you completely in with everything that i'm exposed to it's a complete act of unconditional love saying i take you in without filtering anything out it's a filterless taking in and that is creating a construction of the world because again a child has the perspective these people were helping me to grow up. This is the world and that's all there is. Um, so I construct that into myself and make that my identity. And then again, it's such an act of love. If you think about, oh, my dad was a doctor, so I'm going to become a doctor myself. I have it in my family right now. My, my brother-in-law is a dentist and my niece is becoming a dentist. She's at the university and right now she's really excited about her studies. She really enjoys what she studies. So right on, maybe that's a great match, but you don't always know. I have my own story. My dad um, is an entrepreneur. He has a company and um, his, he was a banker. And um, then he said, oh, you got to become an MBA. So you got to go further in the education. And because he was running the company. All I could ever think about was, sure, I become a banker. Sure, I become an MBA. Sure, I'm going to run the company. That's all there is because it was an act of love of a little girl wanting to make that family, in, this, in particular her dad, happy and follow that track. There was no question about that. I never thought really seriously that I could become a dancer or I could become a therapist. But if I really, really, really honestly settle into my own self, there was a little voice in me that also said, I would like to become a therapist. I would like to become a dancer. And, and then one of the parts in my personal story actually was I had to deconstruct 
the way I constructed my identity out of the family that I internalized to reconstruct a new identity where I could actually allow myself, I am an entrepreneur, yes, but the way I want to exercise being an entrepreneur is different than the frame that was given to me. And first I thought that's the only choice I have. I have to do it exactly the same way it was modeled to me. And as I was fulfilling the program, I realized I'm not fitting into that program really well. So the old voices, the very quiet voices in me that said, I would like to become a therapist or I would like to become a dancer. And I actually had um, the talent. I was um, I had a scholarship for a Chicago dance company and I was invited to become part of a um, dancing ensemble. And my love for following the constructed world that my family was giving to me was stronger. It was an act of love. So I had, it took me a little bit later as I was returning more into my own inner self to actually understand, wow, there's a therapist in me that is asking me to construct a new way of understanding myself. And the funny thing is, in moving forward, I could actually construct a reality for me that was harmonizing all the things I learned. I'm an entrepreneur today. I have become an educator in the family therapy work of a three-generational model. Guess what? Our company was a third generation to be passed on. So there's something about three generations and family systems. I was also integrating this little voice that wanted to become a dancer to bring movement and bodily oriented work into a model that will also support this family work. I could integrate all the knowing I had about cleaning and how, how to clean the dust, but I didn't do it in the cleaning windows. Now I'm doing it more on the soul level. So all the constructed things I had they were valid, but I had to deconstruct, to reconstruct a reality that was much more helpful to have a um, soul connection in my um, new constructed work and life situation. But that was quite a growth process. But it began, the typical story, once upon a time, there was a little girl that loved a family and she wanted to do exactly the things that she was exposed to and just follow exactly that frame. And once upon a time, she realized she placed the ladder against the wrong, the wrong wall and climbed it all the way up to realize I got to find the right wall. And that was kind of my journey of um, that construction of my personal world <laughs> yeah i can totally relate to that that story that you shared and i think a lot of people relate to that even if the patterns were followed unconsciously and considered to be the, the only truth or the only reality to yeah. follow and to have and to hold and somewhere along the way something happened that little voice inside was making herself more audible more more strongly felt or heard 
and raised some question marks. Okay, is this the only way? Is this the ultimate reality or there is something else? And a lot of times, yes, some, some things need to fall apart and to crash and be deconstructed uh, in order for something else to be rebuilt or built from the ground. And yeah. isn't that amazing that we as humans can do that? I mean, if we can do that, we can practically do anything. <laughs> so yeah uh, there is so much power behind that and literally deconstructing and reconstructing your reality because in the process you become actually somebody else and your life whole life becomes something else yeah yeah, yeah. this is one of one of the main ideas also behind these conversations presents these possibilities and these true real felt examples that it is possible anything can be changed at any given point yeah and although we need fixed references even those fixed references can change yeah. from time to time and in different contexts and the more flexible we can be with those changes, the more we can uh, take ownership of how we change things yeah. in this perspective. And yes, as children, we construct our reality based on the interactions we have with our adults in our lives. Yet we are not condemned to live our entire life following that way of doing things and those kinds of patterns yeah and at some point i think also expressing other options is a sign of uh, maturity and of taking ownership of one's life absolutely in my life too what i was considering to be the way to do things up to a certain point got to a uh, situation where I saw myself and I was like a stranger in my own life mm. and felt, okay, this is what I was supposed to do, but how come do I feel like this? Because everything in the external reality was a projection of mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. Yet the inner voice inside was very unsatisfied with the result and then the question was raised okay then if you don't want this then what do you want yeah and that that was like a big um pause for me because i did not know yeah and i i see a lot a lot of people in some kind of similar challenges of okay i'm not good with this situation i'm not comfortable and i don't want that anymore yet i don't know what else to want yeah and if if we don't know what we want then we we feed a reality that is is independent of our our actions mm -hmm. and we feed the pre-existent reality that we are pretty much sensing it without our conscious involvement in it. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's really true. Um, I can so relate to what you were just saying. I was 
also in my own book, I was basically fitting all the criterias on the outside. And, and I think thankfully there is an energy, there is a, there's a voice in us, there is an inner voice, uh, maybe a strong life force that is then giving feedback, giving internal um, feedback of saying, does what you created to the outside really match um, who you are and best reflect you on that inner soul uh, level as well? And for me, I got the same answer. I, I, was, I was meeting the criterias. I was actually good at all of that. And inside of myself, I felt um, whole not in the sense of whole, but I, I really felt empty. And that was quite a puzzle to me. And um, I needed to find a good pathway that will actually allow me to help me to do this, um, what I was saying, the deconstruction and then reconstruction work. And that did uh, as one pathway brought me to the Virginia City of Family Systems work as a way of um, raising the question so what's next because you know I was my whole life was set out planned and now the plan was gone I didn't have a plan b and I never asked myself the question is there anything else I want to do now and it really raised the question then who is life asking me to become because I did not have an another image before I had a clear image who I was supposed to be. Then in this moment, I did not have a clear image anymore. I just had a clear sense, not this, not this, not this. But um, I really had to raise the question under my walking feet, what is the path that will kind of create itself? And who am I asked to become? And it, it, it took a pathway and it took a journey and also willingness to sit a little bit with some uncertainty i'm not saying comfortable but i try to find as much comfort as possible in the uncertainty of not knowing to continue to walk and discover through experiences on the journey what life was asking me to become and i had to really check in with resonance like what is, where's my heart beating and say yes i like this this is good this is how i feel alive this is how i feel i'm more of myself to um, actually unpack those new ideas and, and really bringing an, an, a new model to myself because the models that I had were not valid anymore. And I had to look out for new models. I had to look out into the world, like who is another model that I can draw upon that is representing something for me that could be a good reflection of who I could become. And I didn't really find a full model. I found different people that were representing different aspects where I could say, oh, I like a little bit more of that. I like a little bit more of that. I like a little bit more of that. So I was following various different teachers and then mo modeled some of it, but not all of it, which was also a ripening and growing up process for myself. So I had to create my own model to my own self along the way. And I want to say that's a process to be continued. I'm not saying I'm there, but it's, it's kind of has ripened this general idea. I want to become my own model to my own self. And I can draw different aspects from other people that are representing um, a way of living to me that I really find valid from my own self. Virginia Satir was one of them. 
Um, there was Maria Gomori, one of them, Sharon Notion, one of them, Gunther Schmidt, one of them. They were my dancing teacher. There was Stephen Rob, uh, Gilligan, there was Robert Dills. Um, they were friends. They were my, my friend in dance, Celine. There were different people who were role modeling all kinds of aspects, but all of it was just a fraction of what I was looking for to then um, really bring it into a new way of my own map of my own identity. And um, I think the, the weaving that becomes me as a continuous updating of my most authentic self over time. And as I said, it's an exciting detective story that is continuously changing. Who I was a year ago is not who I am today. Hopefully who I am in a week from now is not who I, I was a week ago. So to be work in progress over time. Yeah. And I think these times that we are experiencing are helping us becoming more and more aware of that process. If we come back to the saying at the beginning of our conversation that the world is not as it is, is as we are, yeah. then we are invited even more to make some choices about how we want to present ourselves in the world and what we want ourselves to be known for and to express as identities, as actions, as words, as anything that implies our involvement. Yeah. I think there's one point I want to make that I just realized um, because it sounds really confusing. If we're forever changing, it's like, oh God, when do I find stability? Like, oh, this is who I am. Because I think it's also important to know this is me. This is my best expression of my own self. And what I realize every time when people are mirroring back certain aspects of me, for example, saying, oh, you have this, you know, you have this capacity of bringing different people together and, um, you know, creating a community or bridging people together. I can sometimes sense, you know what, I've always done that. Today I do it in a very professional way. But when I look at me little, I was always the little girl that would say, hey, you want to play with us? You know, somebody maybe having been discounted and, you know, being a little shy at the side, I would be the one who's saying, hey, come on in. I'm here with the group of you. Let's play together. So certain aspects I can thread as almost like a continuation of this core soul um, whatever you want to call it, like this, this inner core identity part that's completely unique me that I come with. I've always been, and I know I always will be, and I may change different forms of how I'm doing certain things, but there's a core aspect that I can see as a thread of continuation that um, I've been always exercising in very different ways. And I think there's in all of us that in a, in our core that we all can relate to saying, you know, that is who I know myself. And that's independent from all the construction and all the different elements. And to me, I know that as my inner voice, to me, I know that as an inner sense of a certain feeling inside of me. And, and also I know it in a certain body feeling where I feel really grounded and really rooted and really dignified in my own sound saying that is me 
I know that about me. And I think we all have that sense of connection and it's more of a way of returning back to that inner voice that gives us the stability. This is always a part of me that's really authentic to me, no matter what shape and form I'm changing into. And I think that's good to know too. Yeah, absolutely. And this is probably the, the most powerful resource, that inner knowing yeah. of what is your, your core, what is your, your true essence, what is the same, although different exterior forms or ways of, of manifestations occur and whatever your actions or your roles that you choose to play that that's core is still you yeah expressed in so many different ways and this is also probably uh, the most beautiful thing in, in life that we get the chance of expressing that inner deep essence in so many different ways and the more aware we we are of that ways of those ways and of those possibilities i think the more we can bring our our contribution to enrich life and to also feel like there is something beyond that and there is something that everyone every human can experience at any time in life. This is not maybe the, the most easy things to do mm -hmm. and to experience, yet the, the benefits of doing that cannot be, in my perspective, described to anyone. They, they need to be sensed. And I think the costs, or at least, at least some of the costs of not doing that are really visible in our world today. Yeah. Through all the things that are putting in, in danger so many establishments and so many ways of doing things and happening at the same time. If we go back to mirroring what is inside of us, yeah. it comes to a point of decision. Do we want to continue down that road? Or do we want to make some adjustments or even radical changes to that? Yeah. You know, Virginia Satir said this beautiful thing that awareness leads to choice. So in, in one of the traditions that I teach, I'm asking usually participants to create their family map and like the family of origin and then the next generation. So at least three generations and gather as many informations as we have. So we are, so we invite facts in but we also invite adjectives in like if you you know to every family member member put three to five adjectives and they could be positive or negative and then also create your your way of how you experience the relationships and there is a could be a bumpy road there could be a you know a scattered a relationship a broken relationship and, and it's so we we're gathering facts but we're also gathering emotional constructed elements and what i invite them to do is owning all of these aspects as part of you so there's a ritual space where i will invite everybody to say i know about this i am this or i can do this um, and the whole intention about looking at the family history and then we have also ideas about looking at the chronological developments and also at a wheel of influence so all the influential factors that are 
have been shaping me in my growing up until the age of 18 or so. And then we can do it in other ages too. What we want to actually do by that, which is a very paradoxical thing, is I want to own all the story that I am telling myself because even though it may not be true, it has a reality that's created and it has a massive impact on how I feel about myself. So we do this paradoxical thing by owning all of these aspects in order actually to then let it go to make a choice. Which one of this do I want to continue to hold on to and do it with conscious choice? Which ones of them are really not very helpful and I could learn to let them go and, and maybe learn something new? And which one of those aspects I want to investigate a little bit more further because it's puzzling me. I don't really know about that. I need to grab it more. I need to understand more about it. So it's an interesting way of touching as many details of my story without staying attached at, in the story. Actually, by the idea of I know it, I hold it, I own it. And with owning and sharing it, then I can choose to what I want to do with it. Wanna, do I want to continue? Do I want to let it go? Do I want to learn something new? And that will actually open to a choice of taking all the many learnings that are influential in our life anyways, but not having the learnings unconsciously driving us, but actually being aware to us so that we can create that and navigate it. So we own our own story. We own our own life. And then if the more I do that, it's a process I will continue to do. The more I know about all these details, the more I can really become free from them. I can really let them more and more go. And then my inner voice can become stronger and stronger as a way of leading the way. How do I best want to give myself expression in the world? Because to me, the greatest gift that we can all give to this world is really speaking the deepest truth that we have, knowing it and speaking it and sharing it because everybody comes with a unique gift to bring. And if we hold it back, then I feel we're creating as much damage as if we are living away from our gift and just bringing out into the world something that other people were expecting of us and it's not really making us happy. Yeah, and even though we may somehow have the sense of not interfering much with the overall reality by our non-action or lack of action, actually that leaves a blank spot in the whole experience of humanity that is not replaceable. So it actually brings a damage even if we say to ourselves, okay, I did not do anything. Just by not doing anything, you can cause some harm. As well as you can speak a very powerful truth with a soft voice. You don't need to speak a powerful truth with a loud voice. Mm -hmm. And not every loud voice represents the expression of a powerful truth. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes noises can be more strong than powerful truths. That's true. And in our reality, we need to find our inner detective, yeah. our inner detector of what is noise and what is that, that voice that um, you, you describe it so, so beautifully that is soft, 
softly speaking. Yeah. It's not screaming. It's just gentle speaking to ourselves. And we decide if we listen to that voice or to other noises that we find around us. Yeah, I guess sometimes if you totally ignore it, it can also scream and yell at you and maybe come even as a, as a symptom and saying, you're not paying attention to me. <laughs> I had that experience sometimes too. So they, I think they come in different tonalities. But what, I, um, what also came to my mind was the student from Afa Graham was asking her, Martha, what is the perfect dance? And the answer from Martha Graham to her student was, you know, there's a, there's a life force, there's an energy, there's a quickening that gets translated through you, through your own body, through your own voice, interaction. And it's not up to you to decide if it's good or bad, to judge it. It's up to you to make it yours, to really fully own it, to dance it, to bring it into action and dance your dance. It's your, it's your duty to keep your own channel open and, and speak your voice, dance your dance, or sing your song, or you know, write your letter, or write your poems, or whatever language um, is the language that we can use. But I think that's really is our duty to to dance our dance. Yeah, and maybe that that dance sometimes may seem insignificant. Yeah. Maybe we have this idea that there are some professions that are more adequate as or appropriate as expressions for that flow, that life energy. But I think that at any given point, in any given profession, in any given life situation, we can allow that to happen. If somebody works in, in a shop and does that with full, complete commitment to serving people, that's a life expression in itself. Yeah. If somebody's cleaning the house or the, the streets, that's a life expression in itself. Totally. Sometimes we over-idealize certain situations or certain roles and leave out a lot of others. I think we are like a, a whole collective of individuals having to live together in a, in a time and in a place like the planet is nowadays. Yeah. And if I think about it as a living organism, I don't think that if the cells of the body, let's say the, the skin cells, would say, okay, I, I would best look like a, a neuron or like, a, like a, a liver cell or something different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, as long as we want to create a good reality for ourselves, we need to acknowledge that inner truth that you were were speaking about and listen to that inner voice and express that and not be so much preoccupied by what the others are doing with their or with what they should be doing or what we think they should be doing yeah i mean i like to say you know life you know, the creation, life itself, the world doesn't make any mistakes. So if they brought us out here, there's a reason for that. And I think I can um, do the best. And no matter what position I'm in, you know, we're, we're, I mean, we're in such a 
achievement, performance-oriented world that we have created. So everything is about what did you achieve, who you have become, you know, what are your medallions. But, um, you know, in creation, everybody has a place, you know, and the body, you don't ask if the little toe is, is exactly as valid as the heart. There's no question. I need my little toe as well. I'm not saying oh, I have 10 of those, you know, the little toe doesn't really count. I mean, obviously, I would still be able to walk if I didn't have that little one. But they all have a function. They all are an interplay of importance. And um, the same is true, I think, for us. And um, I learned a great lesson as I was um, beginning in our cleaning company. There was Frau Müller, um, a very typical German name. And Frau Müller was a cleaning um, lady um, who actually already worked for my grandfather and as I was um, you know checking in with different schools um, she was like had this really white 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 coat and it was you know it was ironed and it looked like that was her perfect outfit and and she held herself in such a proud body posture and she basically said this is my school these are my kids I take really good care of my kids. And she took her work, and, and that was not a nice environment. The school was a little bit run down. It wasn't a great school, but I mean, for her, that was her school. Those were her kids. Those were her families that she needed to take care of. And she knew that she was in the right space, and there was no question if she you know, had a profession that other people would regard as, oh, that's a great profession. I hope I could have that profession because not necessarily everybody is thinking that cleaning is a great job. But now in these days, we realize how important it is. This is one of the essential workers without cleaning and, and disinfection and hygienic care. You know, we get sick. I think this days has brought that to our attention. But it not, it's not necessarily always mirrored back to people. But this Mrs. Muller didn't need that because she had it in her. She was, that's my school. That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And as you can tell, it really touched something in me, just kind of really telling me everybody has its own space and we can make this world a really good place if we know who we are and what we do and every little thing, if we do it with our whole heart, is of value. I don't have to be a doctor and have found the next medication to heal cancer in order to be somebody. I can be a cleaning person. That is part of healing the world as well. And I would hope that we can remember that for ourselves a little bit further when we go into the future together in constructing a world that we can construct yeah and we are here doing our part for this life to get some visible tangible expression and for stating firmly that it is possible it's not a utopia no it's not and it's not the complicated things that need to happen in order to achieve big things or in order to make big shifts. Yeah. Sometimes it's a very small thing that can happen and change a whole thing around. 
So if wherever we are, like interacting with somebody in our family or with somebody at work, we change how we react and we start to act from that space of respect and of total acceptance for what is, then we can say we are starting a process of reconstructing reality. Absolutely. You know, to me, one very, very simple exercise to do is if you like something to be different, um, if you like people to say hello in the morning or give you a nice smile, what you are hoping other people to do for you, go first. If you want to smile, okay, great. Give them a smile. If you want to say, Guten Morgen, then go first. I think if we do what we're hoping other people to do for us and we do it first, then that's the very first step in creating a reality that we're hoping to be mirrored back. And that's part of the conversation. Don't wait for other people to do what you want them to do for you. I can do that first and then see what happens next. And that's a huge way of constructing and and it's very tangible and it's very practical and it may, may have a difference so start with a smile into the mirror in the morning and say hello Eva it's nice to see you this morning I've been waiting to see you again have a good day <laughs> you are here to do great things <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's <laughs> thank you for the beautiful conversation Thank you. And I'm looking forward our next ones to come. I do too. Thank you so much, Alina. You're beautiful. Love you. And that was our today's episode of our Choices series. Let us know your opinion about the topics we touched and make sure you share it with the people that would most benefit from listening to it. To be sure you are not missing out on important topics for you, Simply subscribe to our channel and get notified when new episodes are released. Until next time, stay healthy, centered, connected and committed to design the life that you want.